0: Welcome to the Filmmaker Mixer Podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined alongside my co host, Jeff, as always. Today, we have on director and filmmaker David Winning.
1: David is a film and television director with an impressive number of credits, and he shares his insights on the craft of filmmaking. Hello, everybody. This is the Filmmaker Mixer Podcast, and today's show is in conjunction with the Portland Festival of Cinema, Animation, and Technology. The festival runs from August 3rd through August 6th, and I highly recommend you check it out. It's a great festival. They have some awesome events scheduled. They've got something like 119 films and animations they're going to be screening. Uh, You really don't want to miss it. Um, It's going to be a live in-person event at the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry. And for you filmmakers who are working on current projects, don't forget that when this year's festival wraps, they will be opening up submissions for next year's festival. So definitely put that on your calendar. And with all of that said, our guest today is David Winning. He is one of the jury members and panelists at this year's festival. David is a film and television director. He's done 45 features. He has over 180 TV credits. He's worked on Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, MGM's Stargate Atlantis, ABC's Dynatopia, the HBO thriller Exception to the Rule. He's worked with actors like Ryan Gosling and Patrick Duffy, William Devane, Lance Hidrickson. And the list goes on and on and on. So he clearly is not a very busy guy. <laughs> so uh, welcome to the show, David.
2: Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thanks for asking me.
1: Well, man, your your credits are impressive. You've uh, you've done a lot of work. So congratulations on all of that, and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today.
2: Oh, you're welcome. I think the rule is if you live long enough, you get a long uh, a long resume. I've had uh, I've had I've been very lucky. I've had a long career. It's had ups and downs, but. Um... You know, when you look at it from this state, it looks like, wow, this guy's really, really done a lot of work, but uh, <laughs> it's, been, uh, well, it's, been, it's been good. I've been, I've been very lucky.
1: Well, that's good. Well, one of the things I always like to ask is how you got interested in filmmaking and storytelling. Did that happen when you were a kid? And if so, how did that, that, uh, passion develop for you?
2: I have the, uh, I always say corny, but maybe it's not corny. I have, I have the, uh, what do you call it? Um, gener- uh, the initial, Launching of my career happened when I was ten. My dad, I guess, was uh, prescient and decided to give me a movie camera for my tenth birthday. And uh, it was a Saturday morning, and I can remember it very specifically. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was just thrilled. I was off to the races. I spent pretty much all of my teens just making movies and fooling around, trying to do all sorts of special effects and uh, pixelation effects and uh, all sorts of stuff. And then I gradually thought, "Wow, wouldn't it be great if I could turn a hobby into a career?" So. I uh, I seem to fooled people for a few decades because I've been doing that. Well, but when did uh, you decide
1: I, to make it a career? I mean, did you go to film school? Did you just jump out and start making films? What happened?
2: No, I was I was I was working when I was a teenager in high school at a at an educational TV uh, production company in Alberta in Canada called uh, Access, and they were producing kind of semi-dramatic. Uh, films and I just kind of got involved with uh, helping them out and being a PA and getting coffee for the directors and just trying to be on set and be around as much as I can. I think in my early twenties, I was, the plan was to go to film school. So I'd arranged to, uh, you know, I was working as a bouncer and a waiter and all sorts of odd jobs. And I raised a bunch of money and I was actually going to go to UCLA or USC. One of the two couldn't decide between. And then once I guess one spring I had this awesome brainstorm, I thought, why not take all the money that I have raised and make my own feature film, like a fool. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, so when I was uh, 22, we took the money, shocked my father. He was uh, kind of thrilled, not. but uh, <laughs> And we went out and I said, you know, let's go buy film stock and let's get some friends together and let's make a movie. So when I was 22, I, sh- I went out into the woods of Alberta and I started uh, shooting my first feature, which I didn't realize was going to take me uh, five, five or six years to finish, all through my 20s. So basically I created my own film program.
1: And did you shoot uh, 16?
2: We shot in uh, 16 millimeter and the goal was always, you know, I wanted to, I wanted it in theaters because that's what I wanted. I wanted to make movies and have people pay to see them. So we actually, the uh, eventually through a long story, arranged to get a 35 millimeter blow up done by the people that bought the film. Eventually I'm I'm running ahead of myself, but uh, so we blew it up to 35 and it actually ended up in theaters in uh, 1987, way back when, and it, and it did okay. It wasn't bad. It was a, a Great little, uh, you know, Canadian thriller. Very low budget, as much money as it would cost you to go to film school, maybe, maybe less.
0: <laughs> Probably less. Uh, I, as someone who just got out of film school, it's definitely a little bit less uh, nowadays. But <laughs> as uh, so, you've worked on various film and TV genres over the years. Uh, like Jeff said, your credits are very long. So from sci-fi to romance, you've done it all. So I'm wondering, how do you approach each genre differently, and do you have a favorite genre to work with?
2: Well, I, I don't actually approach any genre differently because I've always said it. I always kind of feel like every everything is entertainment. You know, I've done monster movies. I've done tons of science fiction. Uh, um, you know, I've done kids series for Nickelodeon. I did five or six kids series for Nick, which was great. And in the last, um, I guess, seven years, I've been directing Christmas movies for the Hallmark Channel and uh, Lifetime and uh, various other companies. And, and I love that too. It's all kind of... Uh, it's all the same thing. You're always, as a director, you're always trying to find a way to pull people into any storyline. You know, I I don't really see any difference between the monster movies and the and the lighting the Christmas trees. That probably sounds weird, but I was I was sort of simultaneously at one point in the last few years directing Christmas movies for Hallmark Channel and directing uh, vampire series, very violent vampire series on Netflix called Van Helsing. At the same time. At the same. <laughs> at the same oh, that's time. That's crazy. So it was a little uh, it was a little bit of a schizophrenic existence, but it was a riot. And it's all it's all the same thing. It's all entertainment. You know, you're trying to make you're trying to make people you're trying to pull people into any kind of storyline, whatever it is. And I've been all over the map with the genres. And I just my answer is always, you know, it's all it's all entertainment.
1: Well, let me let me spin that a little differently then since um, since, you know, you've done so many different genres um, are there any themes that draw you toward a project? Cause themes, you know, themes in horror could be similar to themes in romantic comedy, you know, in terms of, you know, what the subtext of the film is about. So are there any thematic angles that you, you were drawn to?
2: Well, I think I, you know, I, I, I kind of got into the film business because of, uh, a thriller that I saw way too young, way back in 1976. And I'm sure you guys know it. It's, um, Dustin Hoffman and Lawrence Olivier in Marathon. Man. Oh,
1: fantastic movie.
2: One of, fantastic one of my favorite, movie. favorite movies of all time. It's dated a little bit now, but it's still just a really great thriller. And I got into, that just pulled me right into the movies. I thought I got, I got to figure out how to make these. You know, I was, uh, I was still in high school and I thought I got to do this. I got to, so I I guess my, if my, my calling would probably be thrillers. That's kind of the thing that I've always really been into. But, um, and in terms of themes, I think, you know, that movie was about kind of a loner and a loser, Dustin Hoffman played this kind of down and out college student who ends up having to deal with the, the, the worst of the worst enemies ever, the Nazis. And, uh, it was a fascinating, fascinating. I just, I got so pulled into it and so charged by it. I thought I got to find a way, I got to find a way to tell these kind of stories. So I tend to gravitate to thrillers, but the truth is when you're, when you've got a, when you've got a directing career, you say yes to everything. (laughs) <laughs> and, I, and i've been a, i've been a yes man for uh 40 years now i mean i just i kind of believe in just taking challenges and you know when they came to me with the the very first uh hallmark christmas movie and like six seven years back i was like really am i the guy you want to direct christmas movies because i'm kind of a grinch you know christmas isn't really my season but well it's sure become my season now because i just finished my uh 25th christmas movie for the channel so love them or hate them i'm really i'm really proud of the ones that i've done
1: well i'm Uh, i'm I'm also curious because it seems and i may be wrong but the impression i think a lot of people have at least the impression i've had is that sometimes directors get pulled into you know a specific type of film and and they do that over and over and over so i'm wondering how did you get the opportunity to navigate from thriller to horror to 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 romantic comedy because they're they're also different um How did that happen for you?
2: Well, it, it's very true. I can tell you from my perspective, you definitely get pigeonholed when you do things. Because when you do, uh, you know, I did kid series for Nickelodeon for four or five years and I couldn't get a job anywhere else because people think, you know, that's that's the genre. That's what you right, do well. Right. To stay there. And then, you know, equally, I've been in the sci-fi world. I did the Andromeda and Earth Final Conflict and uh, Stargate Atlantis. And then I was the sci-fi guy for four or five years. And it, it really is just, it's just the way the wind blows. You know, something will come along that's different and it'll shift into a new direction and then you'll be stuck doing those kind of those kind of movies for a while and i'm and i don't i don't mind the christmas movies i actually really love them i think it's uh you know i kind of grew up on the i grew up on all sorts of stuff in science fiction and horror movies but i also grew up on things like the waltons you know like real wholesome fun family entertainment right. and that's that's what i find is the challenge with these with these kind of movies because people expect you know they think well they're so predictable well not mine you know i mean spoiler alert they're going to end happy because that's the nature of the <laughs> hey. movie but But um, no, I've had a, I've had a riot with them. I find, I love the challenge of trying any kind of different genre and make it as exciting as, you know, make it, make it the best it can be of that, of that kind of film. So I'm having fun.
0: And, you know, someone who's, you know, worked on a diverse number of projects and a lot of projects, you know, we've seen the entertainment industry has seen significant changes over the recent years, whether it be streaming platforms and, you know, the writer strike and actor strike. I'm curious, do you see or have any predictions on what the landscape of filmmaking will look like in the future if you see it leaning one way or the other?
2: Well, I think, I mean, I think it's really scary right now. I think actors definitely have a point for wanting to try to take a stand against things like, uh, you know, AI and all the stuff that we've heard about, about their image and their likeness and their voice being, you know, used and reused without their permission. I mean, it's, it's kind of something where you you sort of have to draw a line somewhere and make sure that people are always being represented because it's, it's a great opportunity for people to be taken advantage of. I heard recently that, and I'm sure you heard this too. One of the studios was talking about, um, uh, doing ai copies of uh, all of the extras in movies and then right right extras in for one day and then basically creating their own army and library of images of extras so that they just use them forever which is great right some people make their livings as movie extras it's one of the ways into the business it's one of the one of the things that people have always kind of done to kind of build up in the business and get experience and now they want to hire them for a day and then use their image for 20 years it's kind of scary
1: you know, pivoting back to you know your work in both TV and and film, um, I know television, especially you know TV series or, or made-for-TV movies, um, have such a tight schedule. I'm curious how you approach, you know, a project like that that you've got limited time and money versus maybe a bigger project that's maybe a, you know a, a theatrical feature. Um, yeah. How do you how do you prep differently for your different uh, styles of shooting on these different types of programs?
2: Well, I I mean. <laughs> My friends say I'd be dangerous if I had money because I've spent, you know, <laughs> I spent I spent decades in the trenches. I mean, I started out in low budget filmmaking with it with the with storm, which I mentioned earlier. And then I went through a whole series of episodic television, which really teaches you to watch the clock, which I am really good at. I always know where we are during the day. And uh, you know, regardless of what happens on a film set, if you don't complete the ridiculous amount of eight or ten or twelve pages a day, then you know there's gonna be a different director there the next day. So Television kind of taught me how to uh, to manage my time. They're all they're all kind of the same. I mean, especially with what's happened with MOWs now is you know there are no longer the days where you would have five weeks or six weeks to make a movie. It just doesn't happen anymore. So these movies are, I think, with the exception of one or two things I've worked on in the last fifteen years, the movies are all as you probably know, shot in fifteen days or less, and uh, and they're prepped in fifteen days. So you, when you think about it, you're filming an entire movie. Or broadcast the feature, you gotta pull in actors and or you gotta pull the actors and the crew all together and you gotta get the audience into it. And this movie's being shot in less than three weeks. You know, it's a it's a ridiculous pace, but it's because um, you know, the labor costs are so expensive and the break-even point for a lot of the production companies is they're only gonna put up, you know, say a million and a half, two million for these TV movies, because they don't they don't make enough to make it make sense. So if you can't shoot it in twelve or fifteen days, I did one movie in 11 days recently, which is Oh my gosh. But the thing is, you just, you really, you learn how to prep like an army general. You know, you just have to make sure that everything happens extremely efficiently. Television really helped me out when I got to the, to the movies for television, because it's the same kind of, it's the same sort of hurricane pace, you know?
0: So is there like a specific project you've done that you look back on and it's either your proudest or just the behind the scenes of like, like you're saying, it was just a whirlwind of stuff, just trying to get together or yeah, just one you're most proud of.
2: Well, I, I am, you know, I'm really proud of the Christmas movies, the stuff that I've done recently. I've got two movies coming out this fall. Which one we just wrapped uh, literally like ten days ago, which I'm really excited about. But I mean, you know, as I mentioned, thrillers is kind of my 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 mainstay, and so I think probably most recently the thing I'm really really proud of is uh, the Van Helsing series, The Vampire Apocalypse. It's on, um, I think it's still on Netflix. I don't know if it's in the states. It's in Canada. It was originally a series that ran on Sci Fi Channel, uh, ran for about five seasons. It's about the it's about the female van helsing the granddaughter of van helsing it's based on a graphic novel and uh it's like being a kid in the candy store working on this show i mean i just had so much fun it was the kind of stuff it was like it was like directing uh, you know the monster movies you saw when you were a kid and and kind of great drama writing all in the same kind of one big ball of wax and i just had a blast on the show
1: so switching over to effects heavy projects like that you know things with lots of makeup and action how does that affect your approach and your schedule and things like that? Cause that, that seems like it would be more time intensive, but um, you know,
2: how, yeah, do, it, how do you address that? It is. I mean, it's something you just, you handle in prep, you know, if you've got a big effects sequence, you know, you're going to spend more time on it. So you're no longer shooting the standard eight or 10 pages a day. You kind of tone it down to four or five pages. If you've got something really strenuous, that's going to be uh, effects heavy. And, uh, you know, I've spent years in, uh, uh, years of my life in green screen studios uh, things are kind of different now i mean I, with all the ai and the capture and the motion capture and the light screens and the new technology they're using now it's just incredible because I, I i spent so much time directing science fiction where you just had actors standing on fake you know cliff sides looking at little tape marks and you have to say okay there's a big scary monster or this is a uh, some alien coming at you and you have to kind of talk the actors through stuff now but with the technology they have now, you can actually, you know, shoot as you know inside almost like 180 degrees of um, virtual reality, and uh, it's just fascinating. I haven't had the chance to really explore that yet, but I'm really uh, I'm looking forward to it. That's one of the reasons the the uh, festival excited me because they seem to be kind of on the cutting edge of all sorts of technology in the movies. And I'm an old guy now, so I got to kind of learn all these new uh, I got to learn all these new technologies.
1: <laughs> well you know it's funny because film has always been changing you know from silent to color to sound to you know panavision and you know that we now we're sh- people are shooting with red cameras and it seems like it's always in flux you know we yep. we kind of fall into this i guess it's just human nature you think things are always static and they're just not you know but mm-hmm. um but i want to circle back to something else you were talking about shooting efficiently and quickly one of the one of the things when we have we talk to film students we tell them one of the great things about film school or just going out and making films with your friends is you kind of build that tribe, you know, people you can trust and people that you are going going to end up working with again and again and again. So, do you have sort of go to crew or DPs or you know first ADs? Do you or or do you have control over that on the projects? Uh, you know, do you there are you able go. to bring some of your there You go.
2: That's <laughs> the no, I do. I do definitely have um, DPs and first ADs and crew people that I love, and it's always on a short list. But the truth is. When you're working um, as a director for hire, as I've been doing for way too many years, right? you just kind of get booked and sometimes they have their crew already and they're they're doing three movies and they're rolling you through on, onto the third one. So when you get the call, hey, we want you to direct this movie. The second thing they say is, and are you okay? We're working with such and such and such and such and these people because a lot of these crews are just kind of set up in advance. So, Oh, interesting skill that I've developed I think is it's kind of like being a substitute teacher I always say it's like you remember how you hated the substitute teacher in school <laughs> I'm always because as a director you become the new guy coming in and the crews are all kind of worked together and so you have to make friends real fast and uh, interesting I've had a I've had a I've had a good time but I definitely have a short list of people and whenever they say you know you know what director of photography do you like to work with I've I've done uh, there's a guy named Tony Mechie who I've worked with quite a bit in Vancouver Been done 15 movies with him and the great thing is you as you alluding to is that you get an incredible shorthand oh sure with with the creative people that you're working with and you know you, you kind of you, you don't even have to talk sometimes you kind of just know what's gonna how you're gonna cover a scene or a sequence so yeah I definitely would love to kind of ride with the same folks but it doesn't it, it doesn't always happen and when it does it's fun it's like a reunion
1: <laughs> well you know that brings me to another question I'm you know you're talking about having control or, or not having control over you know the crew that you you get to work with sometimes you do sometimes you don't um, and this probably doesn't really apply to TV series that have are that are already in production. But um, I'm curious how much input as a director you have on, say, you know, the style of the film or the color palette or you know, the look of the film or you know, the aspect ratio, whatever you, you know, I mean, all those different things yeah. that you you bring to the table as a director. Um, how often do you have control over that, or or how does well, that work?
2: when i when i started you know when i started out in tv i didn't think i had much control i think one of the biggest lessons i learned eventually when you kind of stand up for yourself and say hey i'd kind of prefer this and let's let's try this and that's when it's that's when directing starts to be fun because you realize you do have a lot of influence over things my one of the first tv series i started with was um you guys maybe remember friday the 13th the tv series not the film series but the tv series for a couple seasons it was about a um antique store that was collecting you know cursed objects and so each week they would bring back an object and uh and so there'd be some murder involved and so it was kind of a scary horror show that ran in like early early 90s and when i started on that i mean you when, you, when you, it was my first tv series you kind of have to fit into the bible of what they of what they want to do right so you you can't really change the you can't really change the look of a series or or how sequences are shot so you kind of study up on how the show is done you know i always do a crash course on a series if I'm not familiar with it and try and, you know, see a few seasons of it and figure out what's going on. But one of the other interesting things is when I started, I was so green that they, you know, they ended up, uh, I, I filled in for a director who was unavailable. My first job, I was like 26. They flew me down to Toronto and suddenly I have this crew of hundred people. And I typically only had like five or 10 people in the all my friends. And suddenly I had this crew and it's like, where do you want to put the camera? And, I have no idea. So you, know, <laughs> you, kind of, you kind of learn really fast. And I, um, I realized that, you know, because you're hungry, um, they gave me, they ended up giving me this really awful script that they thought, well, this, this isn't going to be anything. It's the end of the season. Just give it to this kid. We never heard of him. And so they gave me this really bad uh, story about killer bees. And of course, when you're 26, you're going to make it the best darn killer bee <laughs> that's never been shot. Right. So I, I, I worked my tail off trying to make this a great episode. And the thing is, I'm, I'm still really proud of this episode. It's actually linked on my website. Um, it's fun to it's fun to look back. At, I'm I'm kind of proud of all the stuff I've done there, because you're trying really hard to make an impression and to be different. And the weird thing about TV is you kind of you have to kind of fit into the mold, but at the same time you want to stand out as a director and you want them to say, hey, that that episode was great, and you know, they want to you know, bring you back for for more stuff. So it's a kind of a fine line to ride so
1: you know at the top of the show we talked about the portland film festival of cinema animation and technology um i'm curious how you became involved with that festival
2: well i met um isaac alexander and marissa cohen back in uh, i think 2005 i got asked i was living in burbank at the time and i think they asked me to be involved in one of their early hd festivals um they've they've had this festival going for quite a quite a long time and it's a traveling festival a lot of A lot of it, a number of years, obviously, because of COVID has been online only. And they kind of, they've they've worked in different cities and in different countries and they've had it, which is a little unusual for a festival. And I think because they're, I think they're Portland folks, they've, they've kind of landed in Portland and Portland has become the home of this festival, but it's, it's been going for about 15, 20 years, I think. And uh, this year we were just kind of catching up on, on email as people do. And they asked me if I'd be on the jury, and I thought, well, great. You know, I'd love to. I've been to Portland once, but it was thirty years ago, and I thought, love to come down and help you guys out. So, so lo and behold, I ended up on the jury.
0: (laughs) And as someone who's on the jury and kind of critiquing the films, what's the philosophy or kind of the strategy you you use to to judge them?
2: It's really actually simple. It's exactly my philosophy about uh, directing. It's whatever entertains me. I honestly, I was looking at, I won't tell, I won't reveal the category that I was doing because I think there was a bunch of us doing all different categories in the show, but it was about the choices I was given. It was about what entertains me the most. I was really just trying to, when you make movies your whole life, you really have to try to pull back and forget how they're made and become an audience member again and just f- figure out, honestly, what do you find most entertaining? And that, that was my criteria. I wasn't really looking at, um, you know, the technological aspect of it or the, or the animation or the, or I was just basically looking for what, what is, what's, what makes good cinema.
0: Yeah. And, you know, for, for, you know, I'm wondering if you have any advice to young filmmakers looking to make a film and submit it to film festivals. A lot of my peers who, you know, are just graduating film school and looking to pave their own career, career path. They're finding a lot of obstacles and this whole film festival space is a very complicated world to some. So I'm wondering if there's any words of advice, words of wisdom you can give to that younger generation.
2: Well, I I think festivals are great just because, you know, you can, you can get, if you can get your films made and get them out and seen by people, you get this kind of instant reaction. I, I mean, I've been entering every, every film I think I've ever done. I've entered in festivals. I just found it a great, a great promo device. I've been at the Houston film festival for off and on for years, and they've been really supportive of the films I've done and, You know, I I took a, I took one of the Hallmark Christmas movies down there in April and we had Christmas in Texas in April, which was kind of fun. A lot of Hallmark fans in the theater. So we showed a movie down there, but I think, I don't know, festivals are are a great kind of connecting device to get, to be able to, you know, interact with fans of movies and people that make movies and, and, you know, try to, especially if you're doing, if you're starting out in shorts or something, I mean, it's a great, it's a great avenue to just meet, meet other crew people and other directors and writers and, uh, basically feel like you're not alone which is because it's kind of a lonely it's kind of a lonely job making movies sometimes you know and, and uh, festivals are a great social kind of environment for that my my advice to anybody kind of just trying to get into the film business in any way was always to uh you know forget trying to make your first movie i mean you'll get there eventually i did but forget that why not just try and go out and shoot a trailer for your movie you know go out and shoot a like a two-minute commercial for this this great new movie, and then use that as your calling card to show people. I mean, it's 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 monetarily easier because it's a short little two minute thing. But at the same time, you can kind of show off some of your style and with all the effects and uh, you know online stuff that people can do now with uh, um, visual effects and special effects and stuff. I mean, you can make you can make something look really flashy, and then people say, "This is a great movie. Where do I see this?" Well, it hasn't been made yet, but. If you're willing to invest, uh, we can actually make the movie, and here's the script. You know, I always think that's a great calling card.
1: Well, it's great because you can explore. You know, what you want to do with the film at the same time. If especially if you're a first-time filmmaker, and you're doing it as a short or a, a you know calling card, like you said, um, you can you can play, you can you can experiment, you can do some things and decide what you like and don't like, don't like, and and go back and you know pick up shots and change things. So it's a good way to just sort of explore.
2: And I, you know, when I was saying earlier, when I was, when I was a kid, when I was in my 20s, I was, I was so naive. I thought, how am I going to, I'd made a short film. It's called Sequence. We made it like literally 44 years ago. I was looking at the calendar thinking, my gosh, I shot this film 44 years ago. It was my first short and um, I, I wanted to make something bigger. And I thought, well, you know, a feature film is really only like four or five shorts glued together. So how hard <laughs> could that be? I've already done the short. So, so that was kind of the philosophy I went into making Storm in my 20s. I just thought, just make a longer film. And I think, you know, starting nowadays, it just seems like it would be so much easier because you can get, you know, broadcast quality video technology from like the local electronics store. When I was making movies, I had to buy the film stock and I had to get it developed. And when we were shooting it, I could only shoot, you know, like a three to one ratio. I only had enough money to buy, like, uh, you know, a th- kind of three to one kind of basis. And so as the film is churning through the camera in the good old days, a lot of people don't remember those days, but film's turning through the camera, and you're just thinking about the dollar signs flying by. You thinking, I got to make sure this works. So we, uh, my first film was very carefully planned out because I knew I would I wouldn't get one or more than one or two takes out of any scene.
1: It's funny you, you talk about you know film cameras and so forth back in you know the good old days. I mean they still shoot film today, but um, I remember uh, I was on a, a set uh, doing a corporate video for a client and um we were shooting all red and i was talking to the dp about you know he he had shot some 16 and i, I asked the first ac I, I said you probably don't know what camera noise is she's like why would a camera ever make noise <laughs> like, <laughs> i remember you know in college we'd wrap them in blankets and oh, you know, of course we, we couldn't afford the quiet cameras we only we only had the sewing machine cameras you know yeah. but um but That's i want to pivot back to something else real quickly um as you were growing up and developing your film career and finding your voice and so forth, what what directors influenced you?
2: Well, I always say my my idols are uh, two ends of the spectrum. I'm a huge Stanley Kubrick fan. I think Kubrick is the man. Um, sad he's gone. Sure. Um, and at the complete other end of the spectrum, um, I was a huge John Carpenter fan. Oh yeah and um yeah I, those those guys when i was growing up i mean halloween came out in 1978 and you know it was you know the story was shot for three hundred thousand dollars and until very recently it was uh still the highest grossing independent film of all time i think they made like i can't remember how much 50 million or something and then it got bumped off the throne i think by uh, blair witch project which is wow. already 20 years back i think now how old is blair witch blair Witch is uh, older i'm dating myself but uh so when I was starting out, I was, you know, 17, 18, out comes Halloween and makes this stink load of cash. And I thought, that's what I want to do. Like, I can just go out and make you go, you know, be an auteur and make your own movies. And, uh, you know, just uh, I think the most fun I ever had was shooting my first my first film, because obviously when you get into a directing career, you realize you're not raising the money and you're not spending. You know, it's not your it's not your dollar. So you have to kind of listen to masters and producers and executives and networks and they all come in and have their say but you kind of sort of fondly remember the early days when you were actually controlling everything. And that's the last time I ever had director's cut really was uh, in my twenties, but you know, you try.
0: Yeah. And staying on like the indie low budget side of things, do you have any tips or, you know, things you've learned over the years that would help, uh, you know, cut around a budget, just tips or tricks when working on such a small budget?
2: I, I mean, I think it's, it's always great to, uh, to work with your friends if you can obviously because you have as, you, as we were talking about earlier shorthand with people which is great i'm a huge fan of just moving cameras all, a lot i like a lot of moving camera i mean it's it's called motion pictures right so my sets are usually very 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 populated by cams and ronins and i tend to uh to shoot everything with moving cameras and i think even handheld stuff i mean if you've got if you've got a very low budget and uh you got a bunch of friends and a, and a pretty good story, you know, you just go out and I, I, my first film was shot in the woods in Alberta because it was a beautiful landscape. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of filmmakers seems to start with uh, the, the forest movies, the deliverance, uh, deliverance style movies. So that was kind of where I started, but um, I don't know. I think uh, I'm also a big fan of trying to shoot for a longer period with a smaller crew. Uh, Kubrick used to have this great setup where he would, You know, he'd he'd get his sets together and he'd light the sets for weeks and then he'd kind of let everybody go and he'd just keep like this small student film crew size, just a tight little group of people. And he'd shoot the movie forever because the labor costs were less. You know, it was a smaller crew and he'd shoot for longer, which I thought was a great uh, kind of prototype for I think how movies should be made. That's interesting.
1: uh, We had uh, Mark Bristol on the show a few weeks back. He does the storyboards for... um, he did storyboards for Top Gun, Maverick, and for um, uh, Mission Impossible, and and so I'm curious: Are you a storyboard guy? Do you plan out your shots via storyboard, or do you work with the the crew on set and kind of block it out that way? How do you How do you typically work?
2: Yeah, I love I love storyboard work. Uh, I usually only I usually only do it if it's a, if it's action sequences. Um, you don't generally need them for. Uh, I don't find storyboarding is is really helpful for dramas, but definitely take the action sequence out of them and try to storyboard them. I've done that forever. I mean, I, I kind of grew up doing little comic book drawings of things. And I think that's really what got me into the movies. And I think even, even, you know, flash forward to Van Helsing, this vampire series I just finished is actually based on a graphic novel, which are, you know, the, the, the thing everybody loves now, graphic novels and comic books and, uh, and that's, uh, to me, comic books are just like movies, right? So that's, sure. uh, so I would definitely, uh, oh, storyboarding is definitely useful just because the, the, and anything you can do to direct a movie on paper before you get there with all the people waiting around, looking at their watches, you know, is, is very helpful. And so I, I definitely, I do a lot of overhead maps when I'm drawing, you know, where, where the camera's going to be and all that kind of stuff to work out the choreography of how the characters are going to move. But, um, action sequences sequences definitely i would rely on storyboarding and i've worked with some some great folks over the years and and uh i just i mean i love that because it just takes you back to when you're a kid and you're flipping through the comics right this sure. is what the movie's gonna look like
1: so i know you're gonna be at the uh, festival this weekend that we were talking about are you doing any panels can you give us a, a sneak peek of what you're gonna be chatting about
2: i think i'm just gonna be uh, making friends and uh promoting the festival and i think they have me on a panel about the future of filmmaking which should be really interesting it's about and i'm going to be i'm not going to i'm going to be on the panel but i'm going to be learning because i'm fascinated by all this uh um virtual virtual work that people are doing i really want to get get my hands on it there's uh there's virtual stages popping up all over the place and i just love to get in there and you know shoot a scene with two guys on the top of mount everest and you're in a nice safe warm studio and there's you know beautiful uh, imagery all around you that you can uh, shoot in every direction and everywhere you move the camera kind of switches with your parallax view and stuff. I'm fascinated by all that stuff. And, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of people coming to the festival that have made um, really amazing computer animation um, uh, motion capture films. There's one, one film that I saw during the, during the jury screenings. that was just fascinating. I want to talk to those people, but um, I think it should be fun. It's always fun to, to gather with filmmakers because we're all crazy and we have all sorts of fun stories. And, and, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't been in Portland in 30 years. So, um, I hear it's a great city.
1: Well, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. And again, it's the Portland festival of cinema animation and technology. And if any of our listeners can get up there, uh, David will be there. He will shake your hand and give you great advice. <laughs>
2: so yeah, please come, please come say hello.
1: Absolutely. Well, David, uh, we really appreciate your time. It's been awfully kind of you to take the time to chat with us about your career. You've done so much. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's inspirational to talk to someone who's been doing so many different types of films and so many genres, TV and and uh, TV and film and all over the map. So um we thank you for your time. And uh, if you're ever back down uh, Austin Way, you look me up.
2: I will. I will. Absolutely. And please, anybody who's interested in learning more than they ever want to know about me, I've got a website, www.davidwinning.com. I put up uh, during COVID, I had a little project to put up a ton of video clips, and uh, there's all sorts of background stories and publicity and stuff about how I started. And, um, and my goal really was to try to inspire people to do it. Because if I can do it, anybody can do it.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, give us that website one more time.
2: It's uh, davidwinning.com.
1: Awesome. Well, sir, have a great uh, rest of your evening. And uh, yeah, we'll have to circle back and have you on the show again sometime.
2: Excellent. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
1: Okay, you take care.
0: Thank you for listening to the Filmmaker Mixer podcast, a podcast created and hosted by filmmakers Jeff Stolen and Andrew Lamping and produced by Melody Lopez.
1: Our theme song was composed by the smooth talking Stephen D. Bennett.
0: Make sure to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and stay tuned for future episodes.